GA Club, Grinch Anonymous Club, if you want to join me and gripe about the holidays uh, and all the commercialism. Anybody gripe about the commercialism? Uh, you all do that, right? I love Christmas, hate what they've done to it, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I've been a Grinch uh, for many years and uh, my poor family, uh, but usually by Christmas Day I'm good. You know, after all the commercialism's done, Christmas Day, that's the day I hold the dog. One day a year I hold the dog, it's Christmas Day. I'm not kidding, that's not a joke, that's for real. Our dog anticipates it all year. He, he comes up to me, sometimes he thinks it's Christmas in July, comes up, looks at me, and I say, no, pal, it's not Christmas yet. <laughs> and you're like, he's an awful person. Yes, yes, he is. So what we want to do this, this, uh, this Christmas season is we, we want to get our moorings right, get our anchors down, and, and get looking at the season as we should as believers and followers of Christ, Okay. So today we're laying, uh, this whole series, we're going to lay a foundation for that. Today we're going to talk about how that God came to earth. And next week we'll talk about the, how Jesus was uniquely human. And then uh, and that'll be Pastor Longfellow. And then the third week we'll talk about how Jesus came to, to rescue us. And then our last week, the Sunday before Christmas, we'll talk about how he came for you. And so that'll be the, the scope of the series. And so today we're, we're going to just dive into this idea of Jesus Christ coming. God Showing up on earth. What a, a crazy idea. In 1935, it was the height of the Depression. And there's a story told of a, a widow, a young widow, and her son on Christmas Eve. They sat down together to enjoy a very simple meal to celebrate the holiday, Christmas, with just them. There was no one else in their family around. They were very poor. And the story goes that as the mother uh, gathered the things for the meal, which were very simple and meager, and, and the presents, she had knitted some mittens for her and her son. And as she gathered them, they gathered around the table and began to, to, to get ready to eat, the little boy shot up in that classic fashion that little boys can do and said, wait, I want to go get your present. And so the mother just looked after him, hopelessly probably, because that's how mothers look after young sons, not knowing what they're going to do. And so he ran off to, to his area of their apartment and grab, grabbed a, a present that he had made for her, gotten for her. And he came to the table with this very simple present, wrapped in newspaper, wrapped as only children and husbands can. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. <laughs> and, uh, and presented it to his mom. And, and she looked at it, you know, quizzically, of course, and, and, and opened the wrapping paper, tore the newspaper, and inside the paper was a cigar box. He opened a cigar box, and, and there was a penny, which a penny doesn't sound like much to us, but back then a penny would buy a loaf of bread, a newspaper, it'd buy a lot of things. The last, the only thing this child would have had, he put in the box a penny, and then there was a note. I love you, Mommy, and Mommy was spelled M-O-M-E. I love you, Mommy. That young widow looked at her son, looked at the gift, and began to cry. And in that story, you see how a holiday that for many people can be very painful, that the moment of pain can be turned into joy, all because of a true heartfelt and maybe simple gift. You know, I, I personally don't struggle with the holidays, but I struggle with my flock for the holidays, my, the people I get to pastor. Many of you are going through times this year without someone that you care very much about that, that passed away or, or moved away or something in the last year. 
Some of you got some difficult news throughout the year that now you have to deal with through the holidays. Some of you are dealing with relational struggles that it's just the holidays is just going to intensify the struggle. And some of you are dealing with financial worries, and the last thing you need right now is the added expense of a holiday. And I get it. I just want you to know that Jesus showed up in one of the darkest moments of history. The light of the world entered a dark world. And I, I don't know how your story went, but everyone that I know that knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior usually meets him in their darkest moment. Usually, even if they've already met him and they're having dark moments, he has a way of showing up and bringing light into darkness. It's amazing what a real gift can do. And to think of God giving us the gift of Jesus Christ, I would say giving us the gift of himself is a huge idea. So today, as we kind of wrap our hearts around Jesus Christ coming as being born, as God coming to earth and becoming a human being. I, I want you to, to really wrap your heart around the miracle of it, how impossible it was, how improbable, how, how there's no way it should have happened, and yet it did happen. And, and I want you to be awed by it. I want you to feel it. I want you to connect with Jesus Christ, and, not, and through Jesus Christ, connect with the love of God, the power of God, a God who makes the impossible possible all the time, that kind of God. And we see it presented in, in what became really the birth, or a birth, in the gospel story. And so we, we, our goal today is to connect with that wonder of God coming to earth. Because this baby that we're looking at in our hearts right now, and it's kind of funny what we do with the Christmas story at Christmas. We, we really clean it up, don't we? It's pretty, pretty clean. I love the baby shower comment. I'm quoting you on that once, and then I'm stealing it totally. <clears throat> you know, you look at the Christmas cards, and you got the nativity scene. We have a nativity scene in our house. It's a little stuffed nativity scene that has survived I don't know how many years of kids like decades I, I don't know long all the kids have played with it the pets have played with it it still doesn't look ragged stuff was made well back then did you make that or sorry my wife and I are having a conversation hang on <laughs> I'm back I'm back sorry you know how those nativity scenes work you know you've got you've got Mary and Joseph you know and 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 there's they are in the picture Mary never looks like she was pregnant 10 minutes ago or anything like that. She looks pretty neat. Always, they always look incredibly Texan, I've noticed. Have you noticed that? They're very blue-eyed and blonde-haired kind of. Never mind. I'm sorry. I just Again, hang on. I'm going to do this for a minute, apparently. Oh, oh, it's coming. It's coming. In certain parts of the country, there are the three wise men set off just standing there neatly. But down in Texas, it's three firemen because they came from afar. Bad. Truly bad. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, and it, it just looks so neat. And anyone who's had livestock knows ex that's exactly what animals will do. They'll just stand there until you tell them to move, right? Yeah? And every mother who's had a child knows that, that after birth, she just looks amazing and ready to take on the world and all those kind of things. I mean, we've just cleaned it up. And that wasn't what it was. And we need to get real. Because this is one of my, 
One of the things I love about God's word and God's story is it's just so real. It's just, there's nothing fake about it. It does not put on the pretense. All the pretense of religion came from men, not God. God's always straight about a thing. And in this story, there's this baby who's, who's been born. It's a terrible circumstance. Who's been born, it's a terrible circumstance. They're in a barn, man. A barn. And, and then they, they, the baby's born, they wrap him in some cloths and, and put him in a manger. Doesn't that sound sweet? A manger? A trough, man. It was a trough that cows and, and, and animals ate out of and drooled in. And you've seen animals eat, right? Well, you've seen your kids eat. It's kind of the same. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, and here's this, this poor mother and father putting their child in this because it's all that's available. It's just, it's rough, it's crude, it's real, it's harsh. I mean, just think of, the, of, of, of just birth itself. That Here's this child coming into the, the world through the, through the muck and the chaos and, and the pain of birth. And we're in that moment now. And that's what we see. And we look at this food, this trough, And there's this baby, a Jewish baby, dark-skinned, ordinary Jew right there. But he's more than that. The birth of Jesus was not the beginning of Jesus. The birth of Jesus was not the beginning of Jesus. We have to remember that his life began long before this. We also have to remember what was said about him. An angel showed up to Joseph explaining the thorny situation that Mary was in now that she's pregnant by a miracle of God. And the angel said to Joseph, he says, or as as the commentary is made, all of this occurred To fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, listen to this, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. You see, the angel had told her she would name him Jesus, which means God saves. And then the the commentary that Matthew writes later is that he was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God was saving us by coming to us. God saves us by becoming us. Crazy idea that as we're looking at this this rough and dirty scene, this humble birth, that the one in the trough is actually God. The incarnation is what we like to call it. Why? Why do we call it the incarnation? God becoming flesh. It would clarify how missions and evangelism would happen in the kingdom from that point on. Because Jesus didn't just come and declare a gospel to a lost world. He became the gospel. And he became human to declare that gospel. And that's exactly what missions and evangelism is. We don't just go out and yell at the world that it needs to be saved. We go out and we we put on their circumstances. We enter into their situations. We, We are missional, incarnational 
Paul said, I am all things to all men that I might by any means win some. That is something he learned from Jesus. Good stuff. So, what an idea, huh? Think about it. God becoming a person. That's a big idea. And that's what we're trying to tackle today. To really chew on, to really think about. What does it mean? And, 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 and you should be honest. It should be hard. This, what we're talking about, should be a challenge for you. If you're sitting there right now, and I have before, so I'm not blaming you. But if you're sitting right down there and go, okay, I got it. God was born on earth, became human, got it. Sunday School 101, boom. You don't have it. You flunk. You missed the quiz. There's, the disciples are walking with Jesus every day, and they didn't get it. They're looking at God in the flesh, and they didn't understand it. In fact, Philip asked Jesus one time. He said, hey, Jesus, I don't know if he said actually, hey, Jesus, but I'm thinking something like that. Hey, Jesus, show us the Father. Show us what God the Father is really like. And here's Jesus' answer. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Wow, Philip's looking at Jesus Christ, and he doesn't know what God is like. He wants to see the Father, to get a vision, a glimpse, a revelation of the Father. And all the while, it's sitting right in front of him. And you know what? That's exactly where we are, and we'll be there our whole lives. We could pursue and should pursue Christ, knowledge of him, our heart after him every day, and get a better revelation of who he is. But at the end of this life, you're still not going to fully grasp the reality that God had come, God the Son came and was born a human being. My whole life, and I, I've taught on this for years, one day my life will end. I will go to the door of death in my life. It will open up. Jesus will be on the other side. That's a promise he made to all of us. And when I go through, my eyes are going to be open. I'm like, wow, you came here? You see? So get some humility about this idea. Don't just... Push it off. Don't just say, hey, I'm busy. I got Christmas stuff to do. I got things on my list. I got about a thousand dinners to go to and gifts to buy and money to spend. I got to get this stuff done. Well, stop a minute and get some wonder and get some awe about the fact that God came to earth. What an idea. Let's wrap our heads around that, guys, because Jesus showed us what the Father's like God in the flesh. Stretch our imagination. Look at the baby. Look at the barn. And in that trough. You guys ever seen the newborn? They're not all cute, but that's a secret. <laughs> we don't talk about it. We all, we, just, we don't say <laughs> Some babies just say, oh, they're a beautiful baby. Some people, they, you say, oh, it looks just like his father. <laughs> God, the Son, came out of eternity, timelessness, always existing, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, 
the Ancient of Days comes out and exists in a lifetime. How does a lifetime, how does, how does 33 and a half years hold an infinite, eternal God? The, the God who created the universe and spoke it into existence, let there be light, couldn't speak. Laid in that manger at the mercy of the human condition. Unable to move its tongue and, and control speech. The, the God that, that created the, the intricate and amazing human hand had no control over his own. As he laid in that manger, subject to creation, chilled by the cold, could have easily been killed by a stumbling animal or an attacking king. All-powerful God in a state of utter humility. What a miracle. Shouldn't happen. You understand that? It really shouldn't happen. If you've ever doubted whether or not God loved you, you should be able to look at this trough in a barn and see how much God cares about you. Jesus Christ existed long before he was born. John 1.1, the Bible says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. I love this passage. I love how John calls Jesus the Word, the, the logos in the Greek, the Word. I mean, he'd been called the Son of Man, been called the Messiah, called the Deliverer in the Old Testament. And when John here now He's older, he's probably in his 90s when he's writing this gospel. He, he's lived two-thirds of his life as a follower of Jesus Christ, at least that much of it, as a follower of Jesus Christ, knew Jesus Christ intimately. When he sits down to write this weird gospel, it's, and if you read the gospels back-to-back, -back, you'll find out that the gospel of John's a little weird. As he sits down to write this gospel that, that is intent upon proving that Jesus Christ is the way and who Jesus Christ is, instead of calling him all those other cool names that the Messiah had gone by, John says, in the beginning was the Word. Wow! You're like, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. What is a word? A word is you taking your thoughts, your ideas, and converting them into speech. So people can hear them, to express them. And then the deeper and more profound those ideas are, the deeper they are in your heart, the more hard, the more difficult they are to articulate. And here's God, the, the creator, of the, here, this almighty God, the Father, sending God the Son to earth. And he is the logos. He is the expression, the demonstration of the thought, ideas, and very heart of the Father. That's good. That's amazing. So here's John. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, the Word already existed. I'm sorry, I started my Bible journey in King James, so I'm always converting back to it. So in the beginning, the Word already existed. The, the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. In the beginning, when there was no universe, there was the Word, John called him. 
And who's the Word? And the Word was there. He existed with God. And everything was created with God. And then John says he was God. Who was he? John 1, 14. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness or grace and truth. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The Word became human. Man, that's crazy. That's why Jesus said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I I am the Word of God. I am what God has to say. That's a good, good thought. So what do you think about Jesus? Before we go any further, what do you think about Jesus? Where are you at? I, I'm assuming that there are a lot of folks in this room that believe that Jesus is their Lord and Savior and trust Him. And Hallelujah. But you know what? If you're still working on that, you're in the right place. We're not going to beat you up over it. Not make fun of you over it. We've all been there. We've all been in a place where we didn't know. And you know what? Even though we call ourselves believers, we still end up in places where we don't know. (laughs) And so we want to be with you on that journey. As you look at Jesus Christ and, and begin to answer the question, who is this guy? I mean, is he just a teacher, a preacher, 2,000 years ago? How does that have any bearing on me and my life today? Should it have any? Those are honest questions. You should ask them. And by the way, Christians, you shouldn't be afraid when people ask them. You know, God, the Bible, it's got real answers. You don't have to make up stuff. God's got you covered, all right? And so this is Jesus. So as you're working through that journey and, and I'm talking today about how he's more than just a teacher. I mean, because if, uh, I mean, to, in my mind, some of the claims he made, he, he's either real or he's nuts, you know? Uh, I decide he's real. I believe he's real. I, I believe the New Testament is real historical documents and a real record, verifiable and trusted record of what he said and did. And so, <coughs> excuse me. I look at a story like Paul did. He said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Man. So Jesus Christ. There's a lot more to him. When you look at this baby, realize he's a lot older than he looks. All right? He's God. Become man, and that's why Christmas is such a miracle. Because it was impossible, and yet it it happened. So let's jump into. Now nah, let me back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. You're like, oh, don't do that, Michael. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So as I think about Jesus Christ and look at the Bible record about who He says He is. One of the things that amazes me is the theology that comes out of the New Testament. As we come into the New Testament. You've got to realize that new, new, most of the Bible is written by Jews. Strong monotheists. What is that? They, they believe one God. The, the Bible says that, Deuteronomy. There is, there's only one God. Okay? And now as we move into the disciples' story, we see a greater revelation of who God is. Now that doesn't mean that there's more than one God, by the way. Christians are also monotheists. We believe there is one God who is Father 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a, that's a basic Trinitarian doctrine that's really confusing. And here's why it's confusing. Because God's hard to understand. God's bigger. I love what Brad Stein once said. He said, I don't want a God that I can understand. And here's a God who is one God who exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How did we get here, though? Because you're looking at these Jewish minds who are devoutly monotheistic, but they encounter a journey with Jesus Christ that expands their understanding of who God is in an infinite capacity beyond what they could have done on their own. And now they still believe in one God, but now they have God the Son who they've met, who's the expression of God, the revelation of God. It's a miracle that we even believe this because of just the, the place that they had to come from and, and understand about Jesus Christ. And so, <clears throat> Jesus' life Jesus' life began long before he was born. And even though we don't have a full understanding of all that God is, Jesus greatly expands our understanding of him. Jesus claimed, let's get into some of his claims, he claimed that he was one with God. The Bible says in John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus says to a crowd that he's teaching and making very angry. He says, I and the Father are one. What an idea. I and the Father are one. Now you might read that and go, gee, I wonder what he meant. But you know what I love about the Bible? It, just show, it often just tells you the, the whole story. So Jesus here declares his oneness with God. And in doing so, this was the crowd's reaction. You want to know what, pe what Jesus was teaching? What did people think he was teaching? They may not have understood it, but they certainly reacted to it. And so here's their reaction. Once again, the people up, picked up stones to kill him. Wow. I've never preached a sermon that good in my life. <clears throat> Jesus asked them in verse 32, which I don't have on the slide. He just asked them, for what good deed are you going to stone me? And their answer in verse 33 is, We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. So when someone says that Jesus never claimed to be God, obviously he did. In fact, by the way, I should throw this out totally for free. The reason he was crucified was for blasphemy, claiming to be God. Okay, So uh, when people say he never claimed it, they haven't read some things. <laughs> or maybe they've read too many things. I don't know. They, they didn't believe it, though. They didn't believe that Jesus was one with the Father. They were about to execute him. Now, here's what I think I would have done were I in Jesus' shoes. Because, you know, have you ever stuck your foot in your mouth? I can tell you probably. You look like a bunch of people who've done that. That's possible. Okay, well, I have. I like every week I do it on stage, but that's a different thing. So, so like you say something like Jesus said, I'm the Father of one, and then you, you see people reacting, and you're like, if you've seen it before, like they're getting mad or whatever. And then what do you, here's what I do. I don't know what you do, but all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. I didn't mean that. You ever do that? Crawfish a little bit? No, you're tougher than me. But anyway, I don't like getting stoned. I don't think it's a, a good idea. So <laughs> with rocks. I don't like getting stoned the other way either. But <laughs> See, there you go, foot in mouth. <laughs> My wife's over here feeling sorry for me. Jesus is about to get executed, man. 
if he didn't mean it, he would have backed out of it. But he meant it. Jesus meant everything he said. He never had, he'd never stuck his foot in his mouth. Stuck his foot in a few rear ends, but never his mouth. He just said, that's not what I meant. And he would have corrected them, but that is not what he did at all. He let it sit. He let the Holy Spirit deliver them. He made them deal with the issue he presented to them. Boy, that is so how Jesus works. Jesus claimed to be one with God. Jesus claimed to exist as God forever. Jesus made that claim. Um, he's having a, another Bible discussion we encounter in the Gospel of John. And he, did, he just told him, he said, hey, you need to search the Scriptures. Uh, as you, and you do, you're going to find me, and when you find me, you're going to find life. And they were arguing with Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says this to them in, Matthew, in John 8, 56. Your father Abraham, by the way, Abraham, long time before Jesus, over a millennia, okay? Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. And the people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? Verse 58, Jesus answered, follow closely, I tell you the truth. I mean, if Jesus says, I'm going to tell you the truth, what do you think he's going to tell you? I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. I am. He didn't say I was. He didn't, and it wasn't a grammar mistake. He said, I am. What was he doing? Well, he was referring back to a situation with Moses. Moses, thousands of years before this moment where he's talking, is at the burning bush, and he's arguing with God like we all like to do. Finally, he's starting to fold a little bit. He says, okay, God, I'll do what you want. Who am I going to tell them who sent me? God's answer, tell them the I am sent you. So when Jesus said to a Jewish crowd who had that portion of Scripture most likely memorized, when he said to them before Abraham was, I am, not before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I, why? Because God exists at every single moment in time at all points in time. He's the I am, okay? He never is the I was. He's never the I'm going to be. He's always the I am. And so Jesus claimed the name of God. And so, yeah, you're looking at a baby who existed before the world began, who had no beginning and end. And Jesus is claiming that in that text. And so... Beautiful. Jesus <clears throat> claims that he's always been. Jesus claims that he's one with the Father. And then Jesus claimed all authority. You know the passage in John, Matthew 28. I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Well, who has all authority? Well, only God has all authority. And Jesus Christ didn't just... He wasn't just some lunatic ranting about how he had all authority and, and trying to hype up his, his self or his message. He demonstrated he had all authority. He's on a raging sea, and everybody thinks they're going to die. He's taking a nap, which is a great idea this afternoon, don't you think? Yeah. Taking a nap. They wake him up to die. <laughs> hey, if we're going to die, don't wake me up. I'm just saying, I want to die like Grandpa, asleep, not screaming like everybody else in the car. <laughs> Another old joke, you're welcome. You can groan later. He's in a storm, and he has the authority and demonstrates that authority by saying, peace be still, and the storm stops. That's how 
much authority he has. He walks into a, a room, a city full of sick, diseased people, broken people. And by his authority, his authority, he commands the diseases to end, the sicknesses to leave, and heals everyone. He releases people who are in bondage to the enemy, to demons. And all he does is speak. He has the authority. He speaks, and they're free. He comes to earth, lives a perfect life, dies on a cross as the only human being ever to not be worthy of death, and lives again and demonstrates his authority over sin and death, which is the root cause of all of our problems. That's how much authority Jesus Christ has. That's how much he demonstrated his authority. So, you know me, I like to make things practical. So here we are, we're talking about this, you know, you might, this theology, this thinking about God. That's what theology is. What do you think about God? Your theology is what you think about God. And so we're talking about a theology of God coming to earth, the incarnation. And here's the thing. How is that practical? Is that just, a, you know, is that just something we talk about at Christmas and it doesn't really mean anything? Is that just something that is a, is a conversation in church and we're supposed to do it, but it doesn't have a practical impl- implication in our life? I say it does. I say because if God comes to earth, God the Son becomes a human being, walks this planet, demonstrates his authority over nature, over disease, over demons, over sin and death, then I say he also has authority over me. Right? His authority over me and he has authority over you. If he has authority over everything, then he has authority over us. So that's very practical because it changes the way I live my life. And this is what you must understand about being a follower of Jesus Christ wherever you are in the journey. This is not about going down an aisle, issuing a prayer, and going to church. This is about your life being totally changed by the lordship and authority of Jesus. How does that work? I'm glad you asked. Here's how it works. Every day, without Christ, I wake up and I climb on the throne of my life. And I dictate what my schedule will be, where my money will go, who I will spend time with, and what I will do. Because I live my life without Jesus as if I am my own God. As if I have authority. And I don't. And as a child of God, I climb off of that throne. I surrender to Jesus Christ as my Lord. Receiving Jesus is one thing, but if that receiving doesn't look exactly like surrender, you didn't do it right. Okay? I surrender to Christ. Now he's on the throne of my life. This is strong, this is strong language because it is a strong event. You are transitioning from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You are abandoning all that you know to receive what you know in a way you didn't even know you could know. And you're like, that's really confused now. Well, that's okay. You'll get it later, okay? You are putting Jesus on the throne of your life, and now your day starts differently. Now your day is, Lord, what's the plan? What's the schedule? Where does the budget go? What do I do with my time and my relationships? You see, authority means I surrender to Christ's authority 
And that changes everything in my life. There's a story told in some country that has elephants. I know that's not Tennessee. We didn't have elephants there. A lot of big people, but not elephants. So you're like, that's mean. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm one of them. What am I saying? And so uh, they have elephants. And what happened was something happened in this pack, herd, whatever you call it. I'm sure there's a cool name, but I skipped biology my freshman year. And uh, <clears throat> this herd of elephants. And all the adult elephants somehow were lost, died, captured, what have you. And so there was this, this pack of elephants, a herd of elephants that were just younger elephants, but they were big, full-grown, kind of like, like teenage boys, you know, they're full-grown, the size of a man, but they don't have their brains in yet, those don't come in until later, and I mean, not you guys that are here, but I'm just saying, other people, you know, and so it's kind of like this teenage gang of elephants, can you imagine how dangerous that would be, I mean, farms are getting destroyed, people are getting trampled, it's not going well at all, no one knows what to do, I mean, how do you deal with a herd of elephants that are out of control? And, and so someone had an idea. They went to another herd of elephants that had older, more mature elephants, and they captured a few of them and put them in with this young gang of elephants. And what happened over the next few months is that the older elephants asserted their authority, and pretty soon that pack of elephants came into line, and they started to behave more normally and more maturely. Why? Because these, these older elephants came in, exerted their authority, and demonstrated what maturity looked like for these younger elephants. Now you're like, what does that have to do with Christmas? Well, that would be hilarious if we decorated an elephant, but for the, never mind. We're not doing that. That's not, has nothing to do with this at all. Jesus Christ is maturity. He is what it looks like to be a son of God. He is, by name and definition, the Son of God. And so when Jesus comes into your life, he exerts and demonstrates his authority. Now, you surrender to that authority. You keep, you, certainly, you can live in a way that you don't surrender to Christ's authority, and that will put you in a bad place. But what Christians do is they surrender that authority, and they begin to live like and behave like Jesus. And that's what this authority has to do with in our life. So when Jesus claims, claims that authority in us, over us, and demonstrates that he has all authority, it's for us as well, and that's what makes this practical. So what do we do now? So Jesus Christ existed long before he was born. Has no beginning and end. He's one with the Father. He has all authority. These are all claims that he made. So as we think on these things and begin to just just revel and worship in all that Jesus Christ is. We back out a second. Let's go back to the barn. There's that baby. On the Christmas card, there's a halo on him. But in real life, he just looked like an ordinary Jewish baby. Okay? Yeah, things were going on in the supernatural, but only a few people got the privilege to see that. Some shepherds, some wise men. Okay? His mother, his dad was probably freaked out, but I'm saying that as a dad. No theology, no, yeah, there's theology in that, but I'm saying that as a dad. As you look at that tomb, you ask, I mean, as you look at that manger, trough, you ask yourself, what makes him different? What makes him different is that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is now this child. And there's a way you respond to God. 
And if there's a way you respond to God, and if Jesus is God, there's a way you respond to Jesus. You, you first accept his authority. You accept that, I'm sorry, you accept that he cares about you. If God thought enough of us and loved us enough to show up and become us, to save us, that says a lot about his love. That's why John wrote, for God so loved the world that he sent his own, one and only son. So you should never have a doubt ever again that God loves you. I'm, I'm here to tell you, our struggles with God's love are in no way God's fault. Our struggles with God's love are the enemy's attack and our own doubts. God loves you. Christ's birth, life, and death and resurrection is all you need to know that God loves you beyond anything you could ever hope to comprehend. So you start there. God loves me. Why don't we say that all together? God loves me. One, two, three. God loves me. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. So, so the second thing you do, the second thing we should, the response we should have, one, we should know we're loved. Two, we should respond in worship. So there's a whole lot of angelic creatures in the Bible. Some really cool things happen. Okay, angels show up. Angels of the Lord show up. Uh, living beings show up. Read the book of Ezekiel. That book's freaky. Just saying some weird things going on there. A lot of strange things. And without fail, here's, here's a scenario that pops up several times. This angel of the Lord will show up, or this angelic being will show up, and they'll show up to a human being, and the human being will fall down on the ground and worship them. And without fail, that creature will say, Hey, hey, stop. Do not worship me. I'm not him. I'm not God. God's the only one worthy of worship. Okay? This happens over and over again. Look what happened in John 9, 35. There's a God Jesus healed, and he lost Jesus, but we'll talk about that in some other sermon some other time. And now he finds him. He comes back, finds Jesus. John 9, 35. Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36, the man answers, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Verse 37, you have seen him, and he is speaking to you. Verse 38, yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. And it's not printed in the text, but let me, let me finish up the thought. And Jesus did not stop him. The wise men worshiped Jesus in the manger. Or, I'm sorry, it was probably two by that time. But they worshiped Jesus in Matthew 2, 11. The disciples worshiped Jesus in Luke 24, 15. So, know that God loves you. But then, respond in worship. Adoration, reflection, awe that God loves you and has come to you. Jesus deserves our worship. As God, he deserves our awe. Just being astonished at who he is. And of course, we've already talked about his authority. A lot of times, we like the baby Jesus better than we like the walking, talking Jesus. We look at the baby Jesus and we have our silent night song in our head and it's all calm and peaceful. But then we read the story of Jesus' life and it's anything but calm and peaceful. In fact, he's calm and peaceful, but his circumstances around him are pure chaos pretty much his whole life. And as you think on this and, and look at this child, you've got to remember 
that this baby grows up to be king of kings and lord of lords. He couldn't help it. That's just what he was. <laughs> That's who you serve. That's who we follow. That's who has to be on the throne of your life tomorrow morning. And so when we talk about trusting, we start by trusting Jesus or, or talk about faith, understand, we make no bones about it. We're talking about Jesus Christ being the Lord of your life and the Lord of mine. And so as you think this through, let it blow you away. Man, let this Christmas be a lot more than things on the calendar and money out of the bank. Let it be worship. Pure awe. Let it be something that blows you away. Because it really should. I'm serious. God didn't have to do this. He wanted to do this. Why? Because he loves you. He even likes you. I don't get it either. He likes you. And that's awesome. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your precious word. I thank you for the game changer that's Jesus Christ. I thank you that I, I just love how you write through your prophets and your apostles that a world in darkness has seen a great light. I pray for any life in this room that is just in darkness and aloneness right now. I pray for new life. I pray for a Christmas moment where God shows up in their heart. I pray, Lord, that you would just take the rest of our hearts and just blow our minds and our hearts and our lives how incredible you are, how amazing Jesus is. Lord, let us... Let us never think we have anything about you figured out, but let us live, let us live as children in constant wonder at your goodness, your love, your power. Lord, I pray for a season of worship during the season of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.